we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 10, 2 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, last week, we began looking at this passage, and, and um, we, we got about halfway through it, and so God willing, today, uh, we'll finish it. 2 Samuel chapter number 10, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon, and the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their Lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle even to their buttocks and sent them away. And when they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed and the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maaka, 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men, and the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering end of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtab and Maacah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come out and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him, under the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hader Ezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. And they came to Helam. And Shobak, the captain of the host of Hader Ezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. 
And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to, to assemble together as your people into the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to receive the truth of your scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I began last week, I, I gave you this title and simply uh, will continue this message. So if you need a title, it's just part two. Here was the title, Kindness Unmerited and Unrequited. Kindness Unmerited and Unrequited. This is the kindness of David. And David is demonstrating in chapter 9 and chapter 10 of 2 Samuel the kindness of God. And what we learn from David uh, is that the kindness that he extended speaks uh, more so of the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And uh, as, we, as we noted last week, uh, through his mother's lineage, the son of David, the king. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would come and redeem us of our sin, the one who would occupy the throne of David forever. And one day he is coming again where he will rule and reign upon this earth. His kingdom, therefore, is a kingdom of kindness, a kingdom of kindness. Now, we have an example of that for us here in this chapter, in that David is showing kindness to the enemies of Israel. He is showing kindness to the Ammonites. The Ammonites were brothers of the Moabites. They were the children of Lot, and they were the enemies of Israel. Uh, we saw their cruelty in 1 Samuel chapter number 11 uh, when, the, when the Ammonites came against the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And uh, the men of Jabesh-Gilead said, we will surrender and the king, the king Nahash, said, we will accept your surrender if you allow us to put out your right eye and make this a reproach unto Israel. So we see something of their cruelty and their twistedness. But despite all of that, the Bible says that David extended kindness to them. Now, we understand that David extended kindness to them also in return to some kindness that Nahash had later shown to David. We don't know the circumstances of it. The scripture doesn't tell us. We assume it was some kindness that he showed to David while David was running from Saul. But David did not forget it. And David desired to extend his kindness to the Ammonites. And so he sent his messengers uh, with his condolences and with his greetings to Hanan, who was now going to be the king of Ammon, the people of the Ammonites. And when the messengers arrived, the men, the, the men who were the advisors of Nahash, they said, wait a minute, you think he's here? You think he sent these men to comfort you? Don't be deceived. They're here to spy out the land. They want to take over the city. And so they shamefully entreated them. They cut off half of their beard and they cut off their garment. And they did so intentionally to humiliate these men. And so the men returned and David went, sent his messengers, told them to wait in Jericho until that their beards were fully grown. 
Now, culturally, we don't understand all that that meant to those men, but we do know that their dignity was taken and their honor and their integrity, and they were shamefully entreated. And so David told them to wait at Jericho until their beards were grown. Now, in, in verse number six, the, the, the Bible says the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David. In other words, they knew that what they had done, well, he, that David abhorred it, that, that David uh, reviled uh, what they had done. It, it, it was a reproach to him. And so instead of repenting, which was an option, the Ammonites could have said, wait a minute, we were wrong. David was extending kindness to us, though we did not deserve it. And we shamefully entreated his messenger. So we should repent, humble ourselves, and, and make things right with David. That was option number one. They didn't take that option. By the way, that was the best option. <laughs> they chose option number two. What was that? Not to receive the king's kindness, but to rebel against it. To rebel against it. And really what you have is a picture of our world today. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, came to this earth and died on the cross of Calvary. He took the sins of humanity. The Bible says that our, the iniquity of us all, he, it was laid upon him. He bore our transgressions and our sin. He died for us in our place. And he extends his offer of kindness that all who would come to him would receive the forgiveness of their sin and be with him for eternity in a place called heaven. He came to save us from the judgment that awaits those who continue in their sin, death and hell. He came not to send us there, but to save us from going there. He extended his kindness, and many in this world have rejected that kindness just as Hanan did reject the kindness of David. And so Hanan decided he's going to have a battle. And so he sends to Syria and asked the men of Syria to come and help him. And about 33,000 came to fight against David. And Joab and Abishai, who were the, the leaders of the armies of, of Israel, went out to fight against them. And they set the battle in array. And when the Ammonites and the Syrians saw that the men of Israel were prepared and ready to fight, the Bible said that they fled. They ran away. They had no stomach for the battle. Apparently, they knew they were defeated. And so eventually, uh, as they returned back to their hometown, they had another opportunity. What was it? Again, to say, wait a minute, we just need to repent. We, we need to respond to the kind offer of the king. But that's not what they did. They gathered more men. They gathered a greater army, and they returned to fight David, and they lost the battle. And what we have here in this chapter is a picture of what's unfolding in our world. The kindness of God has been extended to the people in this nation and this world, and many have rejected his kindness and though he's given them opportunity after opportunity to respond to his kindness, to receive the kind gesture of his salvation, they continue in their, in their rebellion and they gather and amass their forces and their strength and they are hoping to overthrow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so really what we find in 2 Samuel 10 
are events that are as relevant to us as what has happened in our world this week and in the last few days. Now, we noted four things in this passage. We saw, first of all, the king's kindness rejected. And then we saw, secondly, the king's enemies attacked. The king's enemies attacked. And then thirdly, in what we will concentrate mainly on this morning, three and four, the king's army prevailed, and the king's enemies were smitten. The king's enemies were smitten. Now, I'm just going to briefly review one and two just to bring you up to speed, and then we'll move forward with three and four. First of all, let's think about the king's kindness rejected. David is seeking to show compassion uh, to Hanan in the death of his father, Nahash. And so he sends these messengers to comfort them. The Lord has sent us who know him. We have been sent into this world as his messengers to offer the kindness of the Lord, the terms of his kindness, to proclaim the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we notice something, how that the Ammonites responded to these messengers is much like how the world responds to the Lord's church today. First of all, we see in verse 3, they misjudged his motives. They misjudged his motives. Remember in verse 3, the Bible says, The princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their Lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he has sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? You see, as they misjudged the motives of David, so many in this world have misjudged the motive of our God. They've misjudged his character. Their view of God is some intolerable, insufferable being up in the heavens who cannot wait to hit somebody over the head with a billy club. But friend, I want you to know that our God is a loving God. And our God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason that men are ruined and on the road to hell is because of their sin. And Jesus Christ came to rescue them from their sin and to deliver them from bondage and deliver them into the kingdom of light and eternal life. And so today, many question the motives and the character of our God. They don't believe he's loving. They don't believe he's benevolent. They've distorted... Uh, their distorted views of him have been conditioned by their own uh, sinfulness, their love for sin, uh, the lies of Satan, and the deception of their own hearts. That's why you have people today uh, who believe that uh, the Bible is wrong and the church is wrong for, for preaching a message that would say, preserve the life of an unborn infant. That's how people can twist things in such a way to think that to say that life should be preserved is somehow to deny the right of someone else. They become adversarial to God and God's word. Not only did they misunderstand or misjudge his motives, but they mistreated his messengers. And as we learned last week, we can expect as the church of Jesus Christ that we will not be loved by this world and that we will experience persecution. And we're beginning to see that in our nation. Then we noted, secondly, the king's enemies assembled. They, they gathered themselves in order to fight. And that's where we pick up 
uh, here this morning with the third thought, and that is the king's army prevailed. The king's army prevailed. Now I want you to look with me again in our text in verse number 9. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. Joab and Abishai have led the armies of Israel out. The mighty men is what the Bible calls them. And they go out to fight against the Syrians, and they find out two things immediately. Number one, they've been outmanned. And number two, they've been outmaneuvered. They've been outmanned, and they've been outmaneuvered. And they've got a battle to fight. By the way, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are times when we look at the events that are unfolding in our world and we hear, we hear the voices. We hear the voices of those who defy God in the arena of our, our, our political leaders, in, in, in secular education, in entertainment. Uh, what you're hearing is constant stream of messages that are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-church. This is what we're hearing. And if we're not careful, we will begin to think, as Joab and Abishai did, that we're outmanned and outmaneuvered and we'll grow discouraged and we'll get tempted to quit. May God help us. I want you to understand that the church is in a conflict. It's in a battle. That is a part of who we are. I'd like for you to go with me to Ephesians chapter number 6. And while you're turning there, let me say this. As the messengers of God, we are to be his ambassadors. We're to carry the message of his loving kindness. We're to extend the terms of his loving kindness as we preach the gospel. We are his ambassador. We are his messengers. We're also his servants. We are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our king, but we're also his soldiers. And we find ourselves engaged, embroiled in a spiritual conflict. Now, I want you to know that the enemies that we face are not people. They are not flesh and blood. Paul is going to tell us who our enemies are. But we need to understand that we're in a conflict. We're in a battle. Look, if you would, in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, who then is our adversary? Our adversary, as Peter wrote, is the devil, Satan. And the demonic forces that rebelled against God in heaven, that were cast out of heaven, that have followed Satan, have created a spiritual principality, a hierarchy of wickedness and authority in this world. And by the way, the Lord Jesus said to us that Satan is the God of this world. He is the prince of this world. Satan rules and reigns in the domain of this world. He took that title from Adam, which was given to Adam from the Lord. He took that title from Adam when Adam sinned against God in the garden. And so we understand that we are engaged in a spiritual conflict, one that weighs on us every day. Temptation, desire, rebellion, apathy, indifference, 
inconsistency in our life. When we say, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray. (laughs) Oh, listen, that's a spiritual conflict we're engaged in. And Satan wars against us in our homes, in our personal life, in the life of the church. Satan is warring as a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So here we are, the servants of the king, the messengers of the king, the soldiers of the king, and here we are in the midst of the battle. (laughs) A battle that we got in, by the way, because the king was trying to show his loving kindness to a lost and dying world. So Paul has a piece of advice for us in Ephesians 6 and verse 13. Rather, let me say it more strongly because it's not advice, it's a command. He says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. We are living in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. What we need is the truth, the truth of God's word. The lies of this age, the deceptiveness of it, affects all of us. Oh, how we need the truth. We don't need less time in God's Word. We need more time. We don't need to assemble less as the days grow darker. We need to assemble more. May God help us to be students of the Word. Having your loins girt about with truth having on that, that, that belt of truth to uphold us, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith where you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, These are serious words. He's saying before you go out for your daily living, understand something. You have an enemy, an adversary who walks about as a roaring lion. And what does he want to do? He wants to destroy you. He wants to wreck and ruin your life. Therefore, you need to be armed. This is a serious thing. You need to put on your armor and You need to pray, and you need to be watchful. You know what the tendency is? is It's that we just get kind of lazy, and we get a little bit slothful. Then we get a little bit apathetic, a little bit indifferent, a little bit distracted, but a soldier is on guard. May God help us to awaken in this hour in which we live. Praying always with all prayer, verse 18, and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, watching thereunto, with all perseverance. It means I don't quit. And supplication for all saints means I need to pray for my church family and for all those who know Christ. And for me, he says, Paul said, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In other words, pray for me that I will advance the cause of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. What is the need our nation has? It is not political reform. It is not moral reform. It is a message of the gospel, a revival of that message being carried out and conducted in this world. People need to hear the gospel. And when the church will proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
souls will be saved, lives will be changed, communities and homes transformed. But it's a battle. It's a battle every day. Now, I want to give you four thoughts here about this battle and how that the men of Israel, though they were outmanned and outmaneuvered, how they prevailed, how the army of the king prevailed, and how you and I can live in victory. First of all, we see here that Joab discerned the tactics of the enemy. He discerned them. He recognized what the enemy was doing. Joab brought his army against the Ammonites, and he saw. He saw things. He had his eyes open. May God help us to keep our eyes open. He saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind. He saw that there was another army. This was not just the Ammonites, but he recognized that the Syrians were there, and one group was behind him, and another group was in front of him. He's outmanned. He's outmaneuvered. He discerned the tactics of the enemy, and the Bible tells us that the devil is, is, is a wise and powerful uh, enemy, adversary of ours. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's a tactician. He, he, he is a master of strategy. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, uh, speaking of Satan, that he would try to gain an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan employs tactics and methods to overthrow us. He is a great student of human nature. A great student. And he will seek to, to study you out and to determine the way to get to you and discourage you and deceive you and cause you to want to quit or lead you astray and tempt you. He knows how to press those buttons, friends, does he not? And so we must discern the tactics of the devil. And we have to discern that so we'll know what battles to engage in and what battles to refrain from. We see not only did he discern the tactics of the enemy, and may God help us to be discerning in this day and understand that Satan is working against us and identify the strategies that he uses. But secondly, we see that Joab developed a plan of action. Look in verse number nine. He chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people delivered he into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. The word array just simply means to set the battle against, to line them up and get them ready to go. And so he said, I'm going to go after the Syrians and I want you to go after the Ammonites. Look at verse 11. And he said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Here's his plan of action. Uh, we're going to divide up our responsibilities. I'm going to attack on one front. You're going to attack on another. And if one of us gets in trouble, I'm going to need your help or I'm going to help you. Do you know how much a church could get done if they would just develop that plan? You see, friends, we are united by a common cause. We fly the flag of the Lord Jesus Christ. The enemies of God, by the way, are united by a common cause. We read about that last week. I, I, wanna, I wanna go back there. Would you go back to Psalm 2? We'll see what unites the, the enemies of God. Now, the enemies of God, they, they have, their uniforms are different. They don't all have the same uniform. 
They don't all march under the same flag, but they all do have one common agenda. Even though their agendas uh, may conflict, they have one common agenda that unites them. If Psalm 2 and verse 1, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. That word set is also a word that is similar to the word array, where we talked about setting the battle in array. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against God. That word Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D. He's take, the kings of the earth are setting themselves. They're taking counsel against God. And against his anointed. Who's his anointed? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 3, here's what they say. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want any restraint. We don't want any rules of righteousness or any responsibilities of morality. We don't want to be governed by anyone but ourselves. We can act any way that we wish. If we want to slaughter the unborn in the womb, then we have the right to do that. If we decide to change our gender in a moment in a whim, we have the right to do that. And everyone ought to respect that. And everyone ought to follow our morality. This is what their message is. They're in rebellion against God. They've set the battle in array. And we need to understand that they're united by one common cause. They hate God and they hate God's word. Just watching the news since this decision has come out and, and reading some of the awful things that people are saying about the Bible, about Christianity, about God, the boldness they have, how that leaders, political leaders, will twist and pervert the scripture and invoke the name of God to commit their sin. So what are we to do? We're to contend. Because it gets discouraging, doesn't it, at times when you hear all of this because sometimes you're tempted as, as Joab and Abishai were to think we're outmanned and we're outmaneuvered. But notice what Jude said in, in Jude 3 and 4. Now Jude is writing to the church on the doorstep of the coming of Christ. He's defining for us the condition of our world and, and exhorting the church to contend for the faith. Let me read it to you, Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So what is our responsibility? It is to earnestly contend for the faith. That word contend means to strive, to struggle, to fight for. Not with fists, not with ammunition. In the spiritual realm, we're to fight. We're to resist the devil. We are to proclaim the truth. He says, we are to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained unto this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a new morality. There's a new religion. 
being propagated in our, in our nation today. But it is not the morality or the religion of the Bible. And those who follow and adhere to the morality and religion of the Bible are those who are being branded as immoral today. So what are we to do? Well, we're to contend for the faith. That is the truth of the word of God. We are to contend in our place. That means in your home. That means in your church. That means in your community. Contend for the faith. Sir, you are the spiritual leader of your home. Whether you recognize that or not, that's the assignment that God has given to you. If you have a wife and you have a child, you are to be the leader in your home. May God help you to lead. Embrace that responsibility in the church, in the community. We are to contend on our knees in prayer. Much of what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church was praying always with all prayer and supplication. He's saying, pray for me that the gospel will be uttered clearly, plainly, powerfully. And so we are to contend on our knees in prayer. This is our greatest weapon. We are to contend in our study as students of the word of God. We are to contend in evangelism, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to contend as we teach and preach the word of God. We are to contend as we faithfully engage in our local church. We are to contend as stewards of our life and our resources. We are to contend as we guard our hearts and keep them with all diligence. May God help us to contend. We live in a generation when many professing Christians are more interested in questioning their faith than they are contending for it. May God help us to contend. So we see here that the king's army prevailed as Joab discerned the tactics of the enemy. The king's army prevailed as Joab developed a plan of action. And thirdly, we see the king's army prevailed as Joab determined to trust the Lord for victory. To trust the Lord for victory. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joab's shoes and Abishai's shoes. Here you are, you're going to battle against the Ammonites and you find out that it's not just the Ammonites. There's a lot more people than you expected. In fact, 33,000 Syrians have shown up and they're not all in one place. Some of them are in front of you and some of them are behind you. And so you're outmanned and you feel like you've been outmaneuvered. So what is it that you're going to do? Well, you're not going to surrender. You're going to contend. That's what we're going to do. May God help us to be faithful to contend. Thank God for men like uh, John Wycliffe and William Tyndale and Martin Luther. Thank God for those men who hazarded their lives to get the truth of God's word to us. I want you to know that we have a Bible that we can open and read. A Bible, the word of God. We have the truth because men contended for it. They hazarded their own lives for it. And may God help us to embrace it and contend with it in this generation. So Joab determined, we're going to trust the Lord for victory. Look at verse 12. I love these words. I mean, now listen, we, we, if we're studying, as we study the life of David, we've noted that Joab has got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of problems. But man, he says something profound here. 
Look at it. Be of good courage. Outmanned and outmaneuvered, be of good courage. And let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. You see, the outcome of the battle was uncertain, but Joab remained confident in the Lord. And I want you to know, for us, the outcome of the battle is not uncertain. Jesus has already won the victory. Satan and his host thought that Christ was defeated when he died on the cross. But on the third day, when he came out of the grave victorious, he assured us of our victory. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we're not fighting with, with an outcome that is uncertain. We're fighting with an outcome that is secure. We're fighting from the vantage point of victory. You can always watch a game when you know who's won it if you're a fan. And even it might get to the third and fourth quarter and it looks glim, uh, uh, grim, excuse me. It looks grim. But if you already know the score and you already know who won, you can, you can rest easy. I want you to know we already know who won. Jesus. So what does he say to us? Be of good courage. Joab said, look, we're going to commit this to the Lord and he will do what seemeth him good. May God help us to look to Christ. May God help us to rally around one another. You know, there's so many unnecessary things that have divided Christians. Little petty things, little petty differences, uh, uh, little acts uh, of unforgiveness or, or something someone has said about you and you, you don't even know it was said. You just heard it was said. And, and so you, you've got anger and bitterness and resentment towards somebody. You know what? All of that doesn't mean a thing. We have an enemy who hates us. He wants to destroy us. We need one another. We need to contend together. We, we need to rally around each other. And by the way, there will be days when it looks like we're losing on one side. That's when we need help from the other side. Let's be that kind of church. Let's support and encourage one another. Let's point one another to Christ and trust him. Well, let me give you the last thought on this. And that is that Joab defeated the enemies of Israel. Look in verse 13. And Joab drew nigh and the people that were with him under the battle against the Syrians. And they did what? They fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, they fled also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. They showed up for the battle and guess what? The enemy ran. The enemy ran. They prevailed. He defeated the enemies. Friends, all we have to do is learn to contend and trust God and the Lord will deliver us. Are you discouraged about what's happening in our world? I, I get that way. I can get so downcast. I have to remind myself I'm on the winning side. I can get discouraged in the battle and get aggravated with my fellow soldiers and forget what this thing is really all about. Does the devil do that to you? Of course he does. And so may the Lord help us to contend together. There was a fourth thought I wanted to share with you and I will just share it in closing. And that was this, the king's enemies were smitten. The king's enemies were smitten. 
Now, here, here's the crazy, crazy thing about the king's enemies. When they know they're beat, they still keep fighting. So we saw in verse 15 that the Syrians saw they were smitten before Israel. They gathered themselves together. We are defeated, fellas, but let's gather an army again. And that's what they did. And they, they gathered a greater army, a, a stronger in number army. There were, uh, there were 40,000 uh, 40, horsemen. There were 700 chariots. Israel had no horsemen and no chariots. Look at verse 16. And Haderezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the captain of the host of Haderezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled. There's that term again. They fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants of Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel. Should have done that in the beginning. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. We read it in Psalm 2 that the heathen have set themselves against the Lord. And the Bible says in Psalms 2 and verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Do you think God is concerned today? Do you think he's the least bit worried about what's happening? No, he is having them in derision. The Bible says in verse five, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king, that's Jesus, upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. What does that mean, kiss the son? It means to bow before him and kiss the ring of his power and authority, to submit to the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now John wrote in Revelation 19 concerning that day when the son would come in his anger and in his judgment and he would defeat the kingdoms of this world with just the word of his mouth. And he would gather the nations together and he will rule and reign for a thousand years and we will be with the Lord. So we've looked at this chapter. The king's kindness unmerited, undeserved, and unrequited. Have you responded to the king's kindness? I'm talking about you personally. I'm talking about every person seated in this auditorium. The king has extended his kindness to you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He bore your sin and died on the cross, suffering your death and hell so that you would not have to. And if you will receive him today, you will receive the kindness of the king. And like Mephibosheth in the previous chapter, you'll have a place at the Lord's table forever. 
Maybe you've completely misunderstood the Lord. Maybe you've listened to the wrong voices, question his motives. But maybe today you're hearing his voice. Maybe today you recognize his kindness. Will you receive him? Will you serve him? Will you come to him and say, I'm a sinner. You're the son of God. Forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life. You can be a recipient of his kindness. Maybe you're that servant who's been shamefully treated. Look, don't retreat from the Lord's work. Rest, restore, and return. That's the message David gave for those men. And then in the battle, when it seems like we're outmanned and outmaneuvered, know that we are the victors and we will prevail. So may God help us. May he help us to discern the tactics of the devil. How does Satan work against you to stir you up? He doesn't have to change his tactics, does he? He knows the go-to with you and with me. Develop a plan of action. Get some people in the church loving you and praying for you. You love and pray for them. Fight with each other. Not, not against each other, but together with one another. Contend. And then trust the Lord for victory. Trust the Lord. With the injuries, with the pains, with the disappointments, trust the Lord that he will do what seemeth him good. And we'll see the enemies of God defeated. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.